All right. We are boldly proclaiming this is the day the Lord has made. As Easter people, we are concluding our sermon series called Greater Today. So this is week number four. We've talked about greater life, greater influence, greater sacrifice. Today, we're talking about greater faith. And greater faith is possible because the tomb is empty. We have hope and we have meaning and significance and we can look forward because the tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty is why we're even focusing on this one word, greater. We, we remember Jesus said to us in John chapter 14 verse 12 that very truly I tell you whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So without the empty tomb, we would not be here. We would not have this series. And in thinking about greater faith, I can't help but think of, of someone in my life who represents that. And I invite you to think of those people in your life. When we think about greater faith, I think of, I think of Papaw, I think of my brother. Like my brother just is generous. He just gives. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes I question, I'm like, Sean, like you didn't even, he just, he just, he's so generous with his life, with his time, with his resources. He's so generous. Papaw, like woke up every single day. He's from rural Southwest Arkansas. They had nickels to their name. His dad died when he was 10 years old and Mamaw Mamie got all the kids into the wagon and drug them to church every single day. And, and my life growing up, when we got to stay at Mamaw and Papaw's house, man, he, every day was his last day and he had this infectious joy Joy. The way he lived his life was amazing. It made such an impression on my life. And in a mysterious way that I can't quite quantify or calculate, I'm somehow here and in part because of his great faith. Somehow that all led to me being here. And what was the source of all that for him? It was, it was God's word. It was this definition that sometimes is hard for us to understand in Hebrews chapter 11 that, that faith is the conviction or the confidence of things hoped for and the, the assurance of things that we can't really see. And, and sometimes it's hard for me to understand that because we use the word faith. Hope's another one of those words, but we use the word faith so often and in so many contexts. Like I, I got faith, we got faith in the products that we use and, and, I, and we, we use the same word in reference to God and sometimes we use words so often and in so many ways that the power, the sting of the definition is lost on us. So I have this like nylon bag that I carry to my folks for overnight trips and it serves its function. I could say, you could say, I, I could say I have faith in it because it serves its purpose. Now, if I start to use that little bag for things that wasn't designed for, then that word faith takes on a different meaning. Pastor David in the sanctuary today, I got to see it this week because an older gentleman in our church uh, has jumped out of an airplane over 1,700 times. Now, I don't think that's a Guinness Book of World Records. I don't know what the Guinness Book is, but I couldn't believe this guy telling his story. He's jumped out of a plane that many times and he brought a parachute and it looks like a book bag. Like when you look at it, if you were just to look at it, it looks like just a black book bag you'd carry to school with you on your shoulders. Of course, it weighs like 60 pounds, but it looks just like a, a book bag. He's used that parachute over 300 times. And so when I think about the way we use the word faith, Using the word to do something trivial, there's not a whole lot at stake, me going over to my folks' house with an overnight bag, and then having faith in what it looks like a book bag jumping out of an airplane, and you would think, 
having used it 300 plus times would give, give me more confidence, but I have like less confidence in that thing being successful if it were to ever be used again. Over 300 times that thing has been used. In reflecting on faith and trying to grasp what we mean when we talk about faith, C.S. Lewis reflects in A Grief Observed. It's this tiny little book he wrote reflecting on his faith and where he was at with God in the midst of his wife passing away. And this is, this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you merely are merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Only a real risk. Only a real risk tests the reality of a belief. So this morning, we're gonna be studying Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 to 32. We're gonna spend some time going through a character that many of us might be familiar with. His name is Jacob. And this guiding question I want us to think about is, as we're understanding what it means for us to own a greater faith for us. We're inspired by many of the people in our lives but, but there's a kind of reckoning in that we all have to work out our own life and our own faith before the Lord. And what does it mean for us to have a greater faith? One question I want us to think about as we explore Jacob's life is what's at stake? When we talk about faith, what is at stake? And Jacob is a strange character and I think he's important for us because he's real and he's raw. Like unlike a lot of characters in scripture, we don't see enough of their story. We don't get enough of their, we, don't, we can't quite grasp their humanity. So, so many of the characters in the scripture, we just have to take at face value, but we get to see this progression in Jacob. We get to see this process of what his faith looks like in different seasons and what, what, what becomes maybe just a nominal notion of faith for Jacob that turns into a greater faith as Jacob comes into the world not really accepting his station in life. It's like he's come into the world not accepting the givenness of it. In an ancient world where birth order means a lot and the firstborn gets a lot of the blessing and a lot of the privileges from the father, Jacob comes into the world holding on to his twin brother's heel as if he's coming into the world saying, I'm not accepting being number two. I'm not going to. And, and he wants all the privileges and he wants all the blessings with very little of the work. And and we see this as their life plays out. And Esau becomes very productive for the family. He goes out and he hunts. And he comes home from a hunt and he's famished and he's blinded by his hunger. And Jacob seizes this opportunity. We're told, Jacob, we don't know what Jacob does. It doesn't seem like he's helping the family much. He stays at home with mom in the tents, in the tent village where they lived. So I don't know what Jacob is doing, but he seizes this opportunity because he sees that his older brother uh, needs some food and he convinces Esau to sell him his birthright. And of course, you know, Esau is just, he doesn't care. It doesn't matter right now. So he says, yes. And many of us remember when that day comes, when that time comes, Jacob dresses up, you know, he's got a 
deepen his voice a little bit because I think his voice is a little higher. He's got he's to mask his voice. He's got to pretend like he's Esau. He's got to put hair on his skin because he has smooth skin. And he comes into his father's presence before Isaac, his father Isaac dies. And of course, Isaac at this point can hardly hear. He can hardly see. He's, he's on the edge. And, and we're told, Jacob didn't even make the food. So what's he doing? He's staying at home with mom in the tents. He doesn't even learn how to cook. He relies on his mom to make this meal. And he comes before his father and convinces his father that he is his older brother Esau and gets the blessing. He gets the birthright. And of course, we might remember Esau is furious. And in the last encounter, the last words Esau has is for his brother's life. He's going to wait till Isaac is, has passed away. But he, he vows to take revenge against Jacob. And so Jacob has to run away. And after Jacob runs away, we don't have time for the whole story. But he has that dream. Many of us know it was Jacob's ladder. He sees angels ascending and descending. And he hears God tell him, you're going to be the one to carry on this promise. Your great-grandfather Abraham w was given this promise to be a blessing to the nations. And Isaac carried that on and you're gonna carry this promise on. Your descendants are gonna be like the dust of the earth. They're gonna be so vast. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. And Jacob wakes up and he's amazed by this. He knows, like, I didn't realize God was here, but God's here. And we haven't seen Jacob encounter God. We haven't seen any signs of faithfulness in Jacob, and yet he is the one to get to carry on this promise. And here's where we get to see an early sign of where Jacob's at with God. We see this response in Genesis chapter 28. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, God, I will then give you a tenth. Notice who's dictating the terms. <laughs> God, if you'll bless me, if you'll do all these things, if you'll hold my hand and take care of me through it all, then I'll bless you. Then I'll praise you. Then I'll give you a tenth. If you do all these things for me, God, if, if you just give me 15 years to kind of make enough money so our family's lifestyle can be sustained, then I'll give you everything else without reservation, Lord. Lord, just wait till the kids get through college before you tell me to go. Just wait, Lord. Just, if you just give me till the kids get through college, then I'll, I know you want me to do it now, but then, then I'll go, then I'll do it. God, if you just will let my wife, my husband survive this cancer, Lord, if you'll just let him, just Lord, just, just let him, just let him get through this. And then, then our whole family's all in with, with this church thing. Then, then we're gonna, we'll go to the ends of the earth for you, God. See, Jacob's faith, it's, man, it's, kind of see a lot of myself in there. Like, there's this holding back. There's part of our life, there's part of the world that we want to hold on to, that we want, that we want to always, for it to always be ours. So this leads us 
to our passage today. As Jacob talks about walking home and journeying back home, he's going to meet his brother. There's a lot of fear and anxiety with this because of what Esau said the last time they were around each other. And Jacob is leading everybody home. <laughs> and, and in anticipation of all this fear and anxiety, you know, I, I think Jacob kind of hopes that, that he can get out easy. So he sends all these gifts and these herds ahead, like to overcompensate for, for what he did, that maybe I'll give Esau, my brother, enough to overcompensate for the way I betrayed him, the way in which I stole his blessing. It's like sometimes how we disrespect some, some folks. We say some things that we shouldn't have said, but we don't want to confront. We don't want to say, I'm sorry. We don't want to say, I'm, I was wrong. And so we, we surround it with pleasantries and we're polite and we hope the person we offended doesn't like conflict as much as we don't like conflict and they don't like confrontation as much as we don't like confrontation. So we hope everything just smooths itself out without ever without ever addressing the problem, without ever facing it head on. And, and scripture says, you know, he's sending all these gifts ahead. He's sending all these gifts. Maybe, maybe this will calm Esau down as we pick up now this, this story in Genesis chapter two, verse 24 to 32. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So he sends everything off. He, he not only sends all these gifts, but then after he sends all the gifts, he sends his family, he sends all his things ahead of him. He sends it all ahead. So he was left alone and a man comes and wrestles him until daybreak. And in the context of this story with what we've been given so far in Jacob's story, it seems like this is Esau, that Esau maybe found out his whereabouts and it makes sense that there would be this confrontation as we continue, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and as he, as he wrestled with the man. So, so Jacob turns out to be a pretty formidable opponent and he's wrestling this guy and he's overtaking this man. And most translations actually say the man strikes his hip. The NIV is the only one that says he touches his hip. So this man strikes him as Jacob is getting the upper hand in this wrestling match. And, and so far, it still makes sense in the context of the story for for it to be Esau in this wrestling match, that he's this mysterious, this unidentified man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And this is where it gets a little strange. Why does it matter daybreak? I mean, what, what's daybreak have to do with anything? If he's wrestling with his brother, if it's night, day, what does it matter? And this is where we're not so sure. It doesn't, we're not so sure if it's an actual man that he's wrestling, but he could be wrestling Esau saying, I'm holding on to you until you bless me to, so I know that you're over the betrayal. So I know that you, you're not holding on to what I did to you. And then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he said, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. 
Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. So now it's apparent we have to rethink the whole encounter. It isn't a man that Jacob's wrestling with. And the prophet Hosea will talk about in chapter 12, verses three and four, that it's an angel that wrestles with Jacob. And most of the Christian traditions will identify an angel to be the one that wrestles with Jacob. And Bono says in Bullet the Blue Sky, Jacob wrestled the angel and the angel was overcome. So there you go. That, that probably settles it for us. But there are a few Protestant, tr- Protestant traditions that, that will identify God. And, but most refer to the angel because of how angels appear all throughout scripture. But whether it's God or an angel, I, I think the point is, is that in the midst of the struggle, the energy doesn't go one way when it comes to the struggle that Jacob's having. That God meets him where he is in the midst of the struggle. In, in the midst of everything that Jacob now has to endure to deal with where he's at, to move from where he's at, at trying to dictate the terms of his faith and his life to God, to accepting God's character and God's will for the goodness and the beauty that it is in his life. And God engages with Jacob in that. And for the first time, we're seeing Jacob let go of control. We haven't seen that so far. He's gained a lot. He's gained a lot of status. He's gained a lot lot of wealth. He's gained a big family. And here he's laying this all on the line as daybreak approaches, which, which we understand in Leviticus in the New Testament. When daybreak comes, you can't be in the presence of the divine and live. You can't see God in the light of day and live. So here Jacob is holding on in the midst of his life being in jeopardy. And we haven't seen Jacob do that up to this point. Jacob is clinging to God even though it may cost him his life. Then the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So now Jacob has this permanent sign of the encounter that he has, not only of his encounter with God, but everybody gets to see this mark that is made, that as he meets God in the struggle and he holds on, a mark, a permanent mark was made that's a sign for everyone, that God gets in the trenches with us, in the struggle with us. And and when we lay down our arms and we let go of control, There's an encounter that makes a mark in our lives that is part of our testimony to ourselves and to everyone we encounter. And this is also showing that Jacob's gonna be the last patriarch to carry on the line. It goes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now Jacob is renamed Israel. And of course, his sons are the tribes of Israel who will be obedient and be a God's sign in the world by following his law, law that includes these food laws that includes not eating the tendon attached to the hip socket, which I'm sure is not delicious at all. But nevertheless, it is a sign. It is a sign of remembrance of this encounter. So how does the story of Jacob exemplify a greater faith? 
I think this story is really spacious. There's lots of sermons that could be preached within this story. And as we see Jacob sending gifts, after he sends the gifts, he sends his family and all his things. He sends all of it away before he encounters God. He sends everything away, anything, anyone, anything that could distract him. So his attention is undivided. And when is our attention undivided anymore? And when it comes to, even when we try to pray, even when we try to study, even when we try in our lives to seek after God's will, when, when is our attention, attention ever undivided? And we see that that's important here as he sends everything away, anything in our lives that could distract us is sent away as he encounters God. And we know Jacob's faith needs to deepen if he is to receive this new name, this new name that gives him a new identity. And in order for that to happen, Jacob has to be alone and he has to move from God being his adversary. And I don't think we're accustomed to thinking about God as our adversary. That makes us a little uncomfortable. But where Jacob's at is he's chosen life on his terms. <laughs> He's chosen to control the world around him. He's, he's chosen to hold back. And so sometimes God has to stand, he, he, he has to be for us by standing against us. And that seems counterintuitive. It seems like a paradox, but, but God has to be for us by standing against us. And we see this again in Hosea and how Hosea the prophet interprets this passage in the midst of Israel being in exile. God has to allow Israel to disobey and be unfaithful. And God doesn't want to be an adversary. God has plans for Israel, plans for our welfare and not for our harm. But sometimes God has to be for us by standing against us. And the parents in the house can probably say amen to this because sometimes that's how we are with our kids, that we've been there and done that. We've seen the outcome. We've seen this road and how it all plays out. We've seen the consequences of these decisions and we know it's gonna end bad if our kids continue to make those decisions. We know the decisions that they're making isn't God's best for them and so to be for our kids, sometimes we have to stand against them and, and, and say, I don't support that decision. And that doesn't mean we're separated from love. It's because we love. It's because God loves. There's no love that's separated. There's, no, there's, there's nothing that we can do to separate us from God's love. But still, sometimes God has to be for us by standing against us. And we're not accustomed to thinking about God in that way, but that's the encounter that Jacob has. That's the movement that he has. He starts in the wrestling match with God as his adversary. <laughs> and he gets to a place, and, and again, the story is spacious. We don't know at what point in time, but at some point in that time, you know, Jacob lays aside his guilt, the guilt he has, for, for betraying his brother. He lets, he lets go of the control. He lets go of his plans and his life and he surrenders and he just holds on for dear life in the struggle until God blesses him. And he doesn't care. It isn't because of his strength that he thinks he'll win the battle. He knows he won't win the battle. He knows he's not strong enough to win. That if daybreak comes, he's done. And that it doesn't matter. He's, he's holding it on because he finally is at a place where he understands 
that God knows that God's way is higher, that God knows better than we do what is best for us. And so he holds on and he has the audacity to say, I'm not gonna let go until you bless me because I've seen the end. Even if the end comes, I know you're good and I know your word is true. And so for us, as we think about a greater faith, it's about this deeper trust. It's not about trying harder. It's not about, it's not about putting forth more effort because that can be the exact opposite of greater faith. It's putting more trust in our own ability and our own self. But it's about deeper trust. It, it's about real risk. And we face those, those things in our life that seem too big. I can't give that much. I can't do that big of a job. I can't wait that long to get the end of this suffering in this season of my life. And yet the challenge that this story presents for us is to respond and to move like Jacob does to struggle with God in all of it, in the questions that will not be answered on this side of heaven, to still struggle with God through all those hard seasons and to cling and to hold on, to say to God, I'm not gonna let go of you until you bless me because we've, we're people of Easter, we're Easter people, we've seen the end. We've seen the end. And so a greater faith is asking God right now for that impossible thing in your life. Because whether it happens now in the time that we want it to happen, in the way that we want it to happen, in the end, we know God's word is true. In the end, we know the kingdom comes. So in the midst of the struggle, we can hold on and we can cling to God no matter how long it takes for this season of life. No matter how many days we have to endure the struggle, we can hold on. I think that's the challenge. That's the example that Jacob gives us of what greater faith looks like. And when we suffer and struggle with God and we cling and we hold on, he will give us a new name. He will make a mark in our lives by encountering us in such a profound way that our testimony will change everything for someone else. Our testimony and our story will be undeniable of God's faithfulness and God's glory. <laughs> It'll be amazing. What name will he give you? May we all find out together as we struggle and as we cling to God. Will you please pray with me? God, for the life that you give us, for the men and women who are saints and for their testimony, for their life that are examples to us of greater faith, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the family that you've given us, the friends that you've given us, this body. And I just pray, God, that you inspire each and every one of us to not stay stagnant, to not be lukewarm in anything, but to keep stepping towards your glory and your goodness and your beauty. God, the plans that you have for us. Help us not be content to hold back from you, 
whatever it is, whatever aspect of our life, God, that we may be trying to hold back, that we may be trying to to clutch, God, we surrender that to you. Help us surrender all of ourselves to you. The way in which we parent, the way in which we have to be an employee for a boss, the way in which we have to deal with family dynamics every single day, God, in every environment that we're in. Help us be your light. Help us grow closer to you in all those spaces and all those places so that more people come to know of your great love for them. We pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.